You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. It is January 2nd, 2021. This is the first episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show of the new year. And we're trying some different things today. I think you'll like them. We'll see how they go. I am going to use Audacity for my recording. Audacity is a software suite that I've seen a lot of recommendations for. I've heard a lot of recommendations for it over the past couple of years. I've never really dug in and tried to figure it out. Honestly, this whole past season of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, I was using just the regular voice recorder app on Windows 10, and then I was converting the M4A file into DaVinci Resolve, and I was using DaVinci Resolve to edit it. Uh, DaVinci Resolve has a free version and a paid version. I was using the free version, which is really great for video editing, but not necessarily specifically for audio editing, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But in any event, I'm trying out Audacity. I'm finding that it has a lot of tools and has a lot of features, a lot of things that are really interesting. And what is forcing me into this is that I'm trying to get the audiobook recorded for And This Is Why We Homeschool. That is my recent book that I just finished, my first ever written book. I don't believe it'll be my last unless, Lord willing, I just uh, don't have the time or other things intervene and, and prevent me from it. But that is my first book that I've ever written, and I just hit publish December 31st. And I'm still in the process of trying to get some things fine-tuned and tweaked. I find that Amazon does not allow me to update and uh, adjust and edit my descriptions of things quite as smoothly as what I'm used to with blogging on WordPress. But slowly but surely, I am tweaking and refining and fine-tuning that so that it looks good. I've got my author page, uh, biography, all of that kind of stuff typed up. I've got a picture on there. I look just like an author because I guess I am now. I'm an author now. Not just a blogger, not just a podcaster. I'm now officially an author of a book. And uh, there's no guarantee that the book is going to be a big commercial success. I don't know how much I should sell it short or how much I should really shoot for the fences or aim for the fences, swing for the fences, whatever. But it really isn't the big point for me. I didn't write it first and foremost to make money. If it makes some money, that'd be, that would be nice. That'd be a nice bonus. Uh, it's available in uh, the Kindle store right now. You can download it as an ebook uh, for free if you have Kindle Unlimited or you can pay $7.99 to buy the ebook. Uh, but it is also available on paperback. So I've got my first proof of the paperback copy to see that everything was printed correctly, to check for typos, that kind of thing. Uh, I've got that coming on Wednesday in theory. I ordered that, and then I will probably be making some adjustments. If you happen to get a hold of a copy of the book and you listen or read it, uh, I want you to make a highlight, make a, a footnote or a, a post-it note or something. Make note of any mistakes or errors that you find and please let me know about them. I want to get those corrected ASAP so that it is perfect, even though I know it never really will be. And so that was the, the realization that I had on December 31st when I hit publish 
was that I could drive myself insane, literally lose my mind trying to make this thing perfect. And it just never is going to be because I'm not perfect. There's a certain point at which you don't let the good, uh, you, you don't let the, the best or the perfect be the enemy of the good. You say, okay, you know what? This is not the way that I necessarily want it to be in the end, but this is going to have to be good enough. Uh, Bird in the Hand is Worth Two in the Bush, and I really, really strongly felt that that book needed to be published ASAP. That's why I worked so hard to get it. That's why I worked so hard to get it finished up and published uh, for the end of the year here. That's why I worked so hard to get it finished up and published here for the end of the year and to get it out there to where people can read it. People can listen to it uh, when it's in audiobook version, hopefully soon. I Actually, I was trying to fall asleep last night. Here's the funny thing. Funny story. Guilty confession. I was trying to fall asleep and I had my eyes closed and I thought I was drifting off to sleep and I thought I was beginning to dream. And then all of a sudden I'm wide awake and my heart is racing and I'm feeling over warm and I'm feeling like I'm just really restless. And I whispered to my wife, I said, sweetie, are you still awake? And she said, yeah, I'm awake. And I said, I am really having trouble sleeping. And, uh, and so we talked about it a little bit and God bless my wife because she told me to stop stressing about it and stop worrying about it and go to sleep. And uh, that is what I needed to hear. But it occurred to me, I was really feeling like I had to get every bit of this book out before my Christmas slash New Year's vacation was over. I felt like I needed to get it published. And I did that from a Kindle version, from a paperback version. It is published. It's out there. It might not be perfect, but it is available. And the substance of my remarks is the main thing that I want people to take away uh, if the biggest thing that they notice about the book is that I had a typo maybe here or there in 40,000 words, then maybe the substance is not so great and maybe the biggest problem is not the typo. But I hope that the ideas that I'm communicating are big enough that people can forgive me a little bit for having not finished it in a completely perfect way. So anyway, I was up late last night talking with my wife and it occurred to me I really wanted to get the audiobook recorded and then I just I ran into so many snags with ACX which is the audiobook uh, creation exchange I think is what it stands for it's a subsidiary of amazon.com it's the platform that you use as a publisher as an author to host your audiobooks and so they got they've got various uh, criteria things that they want to see uh, are to their standard. And there's a lot of science, actually, a lot more than I was expecting, a lot more than I've had to employ so far in uh, podcasting. But the truth of the matter is that in having to tighten up my audio recording and audio editing and audio finishing game, I am not just going to have a better audiobook in the end, as stressful as it might be in the meantime, as I'm trying to figure this out, and I hit snags, and I think I got it, and then it isn't working after all in the next recording. With the podcasting thing, you're going to be listening to a much cleaner, much better sounding, much more polished uh, podcasting experience as I am learning these things more and more as I go along.
But in the meantime, I'm shooting for a end of Q1 audiobook release. I think that gives me enough time to continue experimenting, continue trying to figure out Audacity and how to use it, and how to master this art and this science of audiobook editing. The recording piece of it is not so difficult, but the editing piece is a little more challenging than I was expecting, and actually the recording of it is a little more challenging than I was expecting as well when so much of the way that things are going to turn out as far as Audible is concerned is in how you record it. Are you speaking at a level consistent? Uh, are you speaking within a certain range of loudness and keeping a fairly level uh, level of volume, a fairly uh, equal, even loudness in your recording? Am I staying the same distance away from the microphone as I speak? Or am I getting closer and getting further away? Am I getting louder and am I getting quieter? Am I able to compensate for those natural, unavoidable variations in the software? We'll see. It's going to be a process. It's just going to have to be something I am not kicking myself over, not feeling dumb about. Nobody's born knowing this stuff, and that goes for me too. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Pray for me. Pray that I do not uh, become an anxious wreck over it because that's really not helpful to anybody. But anyway, moving on to what I want to talk about in this episode before I have the whole time that uh, I'm budgeting for this today get away from me. I want to talk about a story that I found in the Epoch Times from earlier today. It was just published by Zachary Stieber. And the title of it is 11 More GOP Senators to Object to Electoral College Votes. So reading just a small selection of this article, it says a group of 11 senators on Saturday announced they're going to challenge electoral votes during the January 6th joint session of Congress. Quote, America is a republic whose leaders are chosen in democratic elections. Those elections, in turn, must comply with the Constitution and with federal and state law, the group wrote in a joint statement. When the voters fairly decide an election pursuant to the rule of law, the losing candidate should acknowledge and respect the legitimacy of that election. And if the voters choose to elect a new office holder, our nation should have a peaceful transfer of power. The election of 2020, like the election of 2016, was hard fought and in many swing states narrowly decided. The 2020 election, however, featured unprecedented allegations of voter fraud, violations, and lax enforcement of election law and other voting irregularities. The allegations of fraud and irregularities in the 2020 election exceed any in our lifetime, the group added, noting courts, including the Supreme Court, have repeatedly declined to hear evidence of alleged fraud. The senators said Congress should immediately appoint an electoral commission with full investigatory and fact-finding authority to conduct an emergency 10-day audit of election returns in disputed states. Once completed, the states would evaluate the commission's findings and convene a special legislative session to certify a change in their vote, if needed. Accordingly, we intend to vote on January 6th to reject the electors from disputed states as not regularly given and lawfully certified, the statutory requisite, unless and until that emergency 10-day audit is completed, the group said. The group includes Senators Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, James Lankford, Steve Daines, John Kennedy, Marsha Blackburn, and Mike Braun. So God bless those guys. Also, there are Senators-elect Cynthia Loomis, Roger Marshall, Bill Haggerty, and Tommy Tuberville planning to join as well. They're senators-elect, not yet sworn in so far. 
But the interesting thing here is I'm thinking to myself about this headline, and I'm thinking about how this strikes the naysayers. How does this strike the Democrats? How does it strike the never-Trumpers? How does this get played in the mainstream media? How does it get played on social media? I'm not on Facebook and Twitter anymore, and I'm actually looking back on 2020 and seeing that development as very beneficial, very healthy. I feel a lot less stressed. I feel a lot less like I'm being played the way that I did when I was on Facebook and Twitter for so many years. I feel as though I'm detoxing, to be quite honest with you. And it's not that there was no utility in those platforms or that I should have never been on them to begin with, but I'm glad to be off of them. And in the absence of them, I find almost a phantom limb syndrome where I'm wondering, what are people thinking as you scroll through Facebook and Twitter about this? What are they saying? And I'm just imagining if I were still on there, I would bet you there would be a whole lot of the snarky libertarian or snarky never-Trump Republican uh, people that I know that I'm no longer connected with, and that's just fine. God be with them. God bless them and uh, and keep them far away from us. Uh, you know, the... <laughs> Is there a blessing for the czar? May the Lord bless. What is it? May the, bless, may the Lord bless and keep the czar far away from us, as they say in Fiddler on the Roof, as the rabbi says in Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, I'm imagining that they're attacking this from the standpoint of, well, it's only 11 senators and this is really disgraceful and the majority of the senators are not going to go along with this and this is a big nothing burger. It's not going anywhere. Well, you know what? It is not a nothing burger and this is not a matter of counting noses. You don't just get to decide whether there is some substance here, whether this is true, whether this is valid. This is a valid concern, valid complaint, a valid line of attack just based on sheer numbers. The fallacy of argumentum ad populum would be the one to cite if we imagined or if we assumed that the fact of a minority proves that there is nothing here to see, folks. Move along. I want to read from you a bit of Numbers 13 because this is the passage that came to mind. This is actually the main reason why I decided to record a podcast episode today. I've been busy with other things. I've been busy with trying to get things tied up, tidied up or, uh, or buttoned up or whatever. At the end of my vacation, before I go back to work, I'm anticipating a backlog of things that need to be taken care of. I'm anticipating some long days when I get back to work, things to fix, things to take care of. And so I want to make sure I've got all the bills paid. I've got things looked back at as far as the year in review, as far as the year ahead. Have we set our goals? What are we expecting? What are we planning for? Et cetera, et cetera. But I wanted to record this podcast episode today in large part to tie two things together in your mind or at least to give them to you for consideration. Think of these things together in connection with one another. Maybe, just maybe, you'll come away with some new insight. Numbers chapter 13 in the English Standard Version. Spies sent into Canaan, starting from the beginning of the chapter. I'll just read all the way through until I feel like stopping. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent from the wilderness of Paran, them according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, 
from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Solon, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamaliel, from the tribe of Asher, Sathur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nahbi, the son of Vophshi, from the tribe of Gad, Gil, the son of Maki. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negeb and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, Talmai, the sons of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eschol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eschol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of forty days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation to the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If Yahweh delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. 
Only do not rebel against Yahweh, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of Yahweh appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And Yahweh said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to Yahweh, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Yahweh, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Yahweh, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because Yahweh was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of Yahweh be great as you have promised, saying, Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then Yahweh said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of Yahweh, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. So we'll stop right there. That is to verse 25 of chapter 14. I started at the top of Numbers 13. And I want to point out a couple of things. You know, first of all, this exchange between God and his people, between God and Moses, between Joshua and Caleb and the assembly of Israel, between the 10 spies who said, this place is too much for us. We can't do it. These people are stronger than we are. We're not going to be able to take the land that God has promised to us. We probably should just go back to Egypt and see if they'll take us in. I know we upset them. We ruffled some feathers with the way that we left, but maybe they would take us back. This is such a fascinating exchange back and forth, and it really is a picture into human nature. So a couple of things are interesting to me. For one, God doesn't destroy the children of Israel despite their faithlessness, but he does bring consequences. And the consequences are that that generation does not get to inherit the promised land. They do not get to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. And so it is their children after every one of that generation, save Joshua and Caleb, has died in the desert. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, it is their children who are brought into the land of Canaan and who are given it by God. It's also interesting to me that Joshua and Caleb, because they were faithful, because they stood true and they trusted in God and they were willing to go in and possess the land that God had promised to them, they were rewarded with an inheritance in that land. They were able to get in and possess it and 
see the fulfillment of God's promises in their own eyes, in their own time. And that makes me think about this whole situation with the Electoral College challenge and whatever you may believe about the legitimacy of the concerns that there were uh, widespread instances of voter fraud, that there was coordinated conspiracy to steal this election, whatever you may think about, whether it's worth it to fight. I think the question in our minds should be, how much are we discounting the worthiness of this fight based on how many people are signed on to it? How much of this is bandwagon jumping for so many people in the middle who just say, you know, most of the people I know, they are not thinking this is worth fighting, even if it's true. Maybe there is widespread voter fraud, but it's not worth fighting. They're stronger than we are. We can't do it. That is not something that God historically and biblically smiles on. That is not something that God blesses. The fear of man lays a snare, and that is just the kind of snare that it lays. You look at Joshua and Caleb when they say, no, we can do it. We can take it. God's promised this land to us. It's a good land. We can do this. The people are so angry, and they're so disgusted, and they're so shamed, and they're so distasteful about the response they have to Joshua and Caleb's testimony that they want to stone these two spies who are bringing a faithful testimony, who are encouraging faithfulness to God. And I think a similar response is surely to be had towards the 11 senators and however many <clears throat> House representatives, uh, congressmen, Republican congressmen are willing to join this contestation as well. But it is interesting to me that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. That, that didn't prove that Joshua and Caleb were on the wrong side of history. In fact, despite being in the minority, they were very much on the right side of history. They were on the right side of God. And that's what the proverb means when it says that whoever trusts in God, whoever trusts in the Lord, whoever trusts in Yahweh will be safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in Yahweh will be safe. This is the kind of thing that it's talking about. You don't go along with the many and pervert justice. You don't just take the easy route. And you don't think in purely human terms because with God, all things are possible. The interesting thing of it is that is actually the Ohio State motto. And I remember getting in trouble when I said back way back when I worked as a, a flooring installer uh, when Josiah was uh, just a a baby growing in Lauren's womb. I remember saying with God, all things are possible in response to this preacher that was the nephew of the guy that I worked for, who just had a terrible attitude. He was always dogging me about everything. If I said I liked Joan Soda, he was dogging on Joan Soda. If I said I liked certain music, he was dogging on the music I liked. If I said I liked Vody Bauckham's uh, sermon that he delivered at Cedarville University, because I was listening to it during my lunch break uh, in the van, all of a sudden, he's talking about how it sounds a lot like Jim Jones. And so I try and get into this back and forth, and he gets really ugly with me. And he ended up basically telling his, uh, his uncle that either I was going to go or he was going to go. Uh, he wasn't going to work there with me anymore. And it wasn't that I was wrong. It wasn't that I was out of line. I stood my ground. I didn't allow him to bully me. He really had no business bullying me the way that he did. Uh, but Brian Vance, if you're out there, you were in the wrong. You owe me an apology. 
it was for the best, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And I'm glad that I'm not installing flooring anymore. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, that same response of it's either him or me, get him out of here, I think is exactly what you're going to see a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives, so-called, a lot of never-Trumpers who just want to move on with life, uh, who are only thinking in purely human terms, that's going to be their response. If you say, with God, all things are possible, I refuse to be discouraged, I refuse to be defeated and defeatist in my mindset, they're going to say, get out of here with all that. And proverbially, they're going to pick up stones to stone you. They are going to want to get you out of their hair because you're making them look bad. You're making them feel bad. You're making them feel guilty and naked and ashamed. And uh, so honestly, I think that's on them. I really don't think that that's something we should lose any sleep about. If that's the way they're going to be, do we really want to impress them? Do we really want to be on their good side on those terms? I say no. I say that's not okay. I think the more of us jump on this effort to make sure that everything was provided honest in the sight of all men in the last election, appoint an investigative committee, make sure that all of this has been vetted, make sure that we are not thinking moving forward that it is okay to commit election fraud and there are no consequences. People need to have consequences, negative consequences. The responsibility of the governing authority, according to Romans 13, if you want to start citing that and saying, oh, I'll submit to the governing authorities. Biden is the president-elect, and we need to just bend the knee and kowtow and honor the emperor and burn some incense to him. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. The role of the governing authority is to reward those who do good, punish those who do evil. So if you're contacting and pressuring, allowing other people to pressure your elected representatives to back off of punishing those who do evil, to back off of rewarding those who do good and to instead be okay with punishing those who do good and rewarding those who do evil, then I say you have missed a core central part of what Romans 13 is talking about. And you, as the person in whose name these elected representatives are supposed to be acting, you have a responsibility here to contact your elected representatives and make sure that according to God's word, they are standing up and being counted and doing what is right. They need to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with their God. If you think that we've got a love affair with doing justice and you're going to say, no, 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 let's just love mercy, you don't understand the meaning of mercy. If you think that mercy is turning a blind eye to corruption, you have missed out in a great deal of wisdom literature which directly confronts that tendency, that sinful tendency, that corrupt tendency in men to save their own skins and to pervert justice. Perverting justice is not the same thing as mercy. Mercy is this person stands condemned and they rightly deserve punishment. They rightly deserve negative consequences, maybe even the cost of their life, and you spare them. But it does not mean that you reward bad behavior and that you empower and enable bad behavior. Mercy is not giving the junkie uh, family member of yours a thousand dollars to go and buy crack and to shoot up. That is not mercy. That is enabling. That is irresponsibility. You're not being merciful to just give in to nagging by evil, wicked men. You are doing the wrong thing. So anyway, all of that said, I applaud these 11 senators. I hope more join. I hope that this actually does go somewhere. I am convinced personally that there was widespread coordinated and significant election fraud that was perpetrated in 2020. The Democrats displayed a willingness for the past four years to do anything and everything 
including murder and mayhem and arson and looting. They justified every sort of lawlessness to try and get power for themselves. It would not be above and better than them for election fraud to be the way that they try and regain power over this country and over the world. So don't you go being naive and assume that they would never do that. And you're just, you're damaging the integrity of our election systems. And you're being maybe even seditious and treasonous. If you say that this should be investigated, that is a load of crap. That is a whole lot of hogwash. And don't you fall for it. If you fall for it, it is not because you're engaging that gray material, that gray matter between your ears. In my opinion, it's because you're afraid of man. The fear of man lays a snare. And it could just be. It very well could be. Even as I say all of that, that the corruption is rewarded. It could very well be that the fraud is rewarded and empowered. It could well be that the assembly of Israel listens to the 10 spies, even though they should have listened to the two, and that we wander in the desert for the next 40 years. That could well be. If that ends up happening, then we trust God to the results and we ask God for wisdom and grace to live faithfully, even in the midst of the corruption. But by golly, I want it to be remembered that I was like Joshua and Caleb and not like those other 10 jokers. I want it to be remembered that I stood for what was right and that you did too. So by all means, let us stand and be counted and let the chips fall where they may. God is the one we should be trusting ourselves to and not the mob. You don't trust yourself to the mercies of the mob. You do what's right and you do justice and you love mercy and you walk humbly with your God. So anyways, that concludes our first broadcast of the 2021 calendar year. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, objections, complaints, as always, reach out to me at garrettmullet at gmail.com and also read my book. Check it out. Go buy it. Buy it for you. Buy it for anybody that you know who is thinking about homeschooling. Uh, maybe read it first before you buy it for somebody else. Make sure that there are no typos. If you find any typos, let me know about them because I want to get those corrected ASAP. But in any event, that's all I got for you today. Happy New Year and God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com.